Well, good morning, church. And good morning to those uh, that are joining us online, and a special hello to those in our uh, junior church that are here this morning. Welcome, welcome to being in service with us. Yeah, we're excited to have you. Now, uh, as many of you know, we are not in a sermon series, but before you boo, before you boo, there is a special sermon today because we had uh, at our uh, potluck last week, we had a special event that was a trivia, and the winners of the trivia got to determine the sermon for today made your pastor very nervous, especially when it was Robert Ryan and Colleen's team who won the trivia. And actually, did you guys even miss a question? It was like, did you, you had full, yeah, okay, they got full marks. I mean, it was just amazing. They knew everything. And uh, anyways. Okay, well, they, <laughs> not to take away from the adults, but the kids are very smart in that group. Uh, and so they came up to me, they said, hey, Pastor Jonathan, they said, hey, we want to we wanna talk about Jesus at the well. And I went, so just to be sure, we're talking about like the Samaritan woman and Jesus at the well. They go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll go, perfect. It's way better than, you know, bears in Appalachia or whatever else they could have chosen <laughs> off the t- top of their head. So thank you for making it easy on your pastor here today. I appreciate that very much. Thank you. Let's go to the Lord in a time of prayer. Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, the first thing I want to start off with today is to really kind of just remember where we are in the Gospel of John. So this is a story that happens relatively early in the Gospel, and uh, really there's only been a few big events of Christ's ministry to this point that have happened. For instance, Jesus has turned water into wine. He's also gone up to Jerusalem, and he's gone and hung out with Nicodemus, and he's uh, gone and, and there's been some dialogue between John the Baptist and different things like that that have happened. But really, if you go back and look what's happened so far in Jesus' teaching, he's met with Nicodemus, in which he said, you know what, Nicodemus, you have to be born again. Not just born again, but you have to be born of water and the Spirit. And he talks about how the Spirit moves us and goes whichever way it will take us and moves us across. And then, of course, John the Baptist comes along, and there's a dialogue where all the John's Baptist, his, his disciples are saying, hey, Jesus is more popular than you. Expecting him to get all huffy and puffy, right? And John goes... Well, that's okay. He's got to become more. I must become less. And at the very end of that, he talks about this idea that, John, that the, God the Spirit is coming, and God gives the Spirit without limit. And that the words of Christ are these very things. He was alluding to that. I love that line, though. God gives the Spirit without limit. And then, of course, Jesus is getting word of the Pharisees not liking what he is doing and all that stuff, so he leaves the Judea wilderness, if you will, on the side, and goes back to Galilee, but on the way, he's got to go through a shortcut. He's going to go through Samaria, right? And many of you know this, but a lot of times when people would go from Jerusalem up to Galilee, you would go around Samaria. If you were going to go through Samaria, you made sure that you you did the journey in such a way that you went straight through with no stops. And what does Jesus do? He stops, right? (laughs) And he stops, not only that, he stops at a well in midday, in the middle of nothing at noon, hanging out. And furthermore, he's stopped, and they weren't even prepared. His disciples had, he had to send them out to go buy food. So we learn this a little bit later here, uh, as it talks about in this, in this passage. But Jesus is alone at a well in Samaria by himself, right? And so he's sitting there when this story happens. And of course, the story goes, as we heard in this already read, that there's a Samaritan woman that comes up. Now, it is worth just stopping and pondering, because uh, if you ever wondered yourself, when, if you were going to go get water at the well... For your, if you lived in town, that is, and you weren't journeying through. But if you lived in town and you were going to go get water at your well, when would you go? Now, remember, this is the desert, right? <laughs> this is hot. 
This is uh, the wilderness, if you will, and uh, lots, of, lots of dirt, lots of sand. Not always a lot of water, right? So you would go to the well most of the time, the common time is all the women would normally go together, first of all, and they would go about the end of the, well, we would say end of the day, it was their beginning of the day because it was right at nighttime. Right as the sun was going down, you would go and do it then because it was the coolest part of the day. And if you weren't going to do that, you would do it in the morning, right? You would do one or the other. You wouldn't go in noon in high time and go when it's super, super hot. And so we can make a couple assumptions about this woman who goes and meets here. First of all, she's either had a rough night the night before, right, and is catching up, or, you know, maybe something like that. But more than likely, what the gospel records and why it wants us to remember this is she's not welcome with the other woman. It's a pretty safe assumption. We don't know that for sure, but we can make that assumption probably. We can also assume that she's going because she wants to go at the time no one else will be there. And so in some ways, not only is she not welcome with other people, she's seeking sort of a solitude and a break from being an outcast. And of course, when Jesus tells her some things that we'll talk about here in just a moment, it becomes very clear that she's not thought of well in town. That she's someone that the other people see as more of an outcast. And so not only is she a Samaritan, she's an outcast within her own people, and she comes and meets Jesus. Now, you remember how the story starts off, right? The woman comes, and she's probably eyeing Jesus like, what is this Jewish dude doing here and hanging out? But Jesus actually talks to her first, right? And you remember what he says. He just says that simple thing, right, of, can you give me a drink? Now, remember, she says no because you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan, but the other half of that and understanding of that is Samaritans were considered unclean by the Jewish people. And so if you were going to honor God and do all the things God wanted to do, if, if you even took a vessel of water, a picture of water, if you will, she drew it up and put it into something for him to drink, and he drank out of it, he would thus, by touching that, that vessel, be unclean. Right? Which then you'd have to go through all the ceremonial ritual, washing and all these different things and becoming clean once again. And Jesus goes, yeah, just give me a drink. <laughs> and, and the woman's just baffled because, like, who in the world, especially a man coming into town, ask for a drink? You know, this guy must be desperate, if you will. And then, of course, they get into a little bit of a dialogue, don't they? But Jesus turns it around and says, you know, oh, if you knew who you're talking with, you'd be asking me for a drink. You've got to understand, this well was large enough, as it says, as she says in her own words, that Hey, this was dug by Jacob, our ancestor. I love how she says our ancestor, as she has a claim. She's a Samaritan. It's technically not our ancestor. You can see how the Samaritans are claiming sort of what the Jewish people and why they didn't get along there. But she, the Samaritans were not Jewish people. They were people from outside that had been forced to come and move in. And they adopted some of the Jewish customs and some of the Jewish religion and some of the ideas that, of precepts that God had set. But a lot of them they didn't. And a lot of them they just brought forth what they came with and they just added to it and synchronized it. And so there was all sorts of things they do including offering sacrifices on the mountain where this town is located instead of up in Jerusalem. And so there's actually not only an, a, a, you know, a difference to people, but they actually are doing the very thing that God has told people not to do. There's only one place you go and sacrifice, and yet these people are sitting there and doing this differently. And so Jesus gets into this conversation with them. If you knew about it, and again, Jacob's well is so deep that it was deep enough for him to not only get water for himself, but to feed all the flocks and herds. We're talking like this well is a well. You know what I'm saying? Like this is not just your typical like, oh, there's a couple of little bit of water, a little bit of water. This is enough well that they draw it up and it's fed by springs of water, as we understand. And it was enough that when they explored it, um, this is one of the, the sites that almost there's no debate over where this actually is in modern times. You can go there and see the church that's built. There's a Greek Orthodox church there. 
and you can go and find it. And so as you go and you see this, or if you're there, and, and there's this well, they've dug it out and done all these things, and it was at least, in modern times, 144 feet deep, right? That'd be, back in the day, it was probably even deeper because of time, we know how things kind of work and, and settle in, especially when, in uh, cities and things. But it was probably a deep, deep well. In fact, there's, a, there's a, like a sixth century recording of somebody who'd actually tried to, to plummet, if you will, and it was 244, according to their numbers, deep, deep, right? Huge, deep well. And so Jesus says these words, you knew who I was. You'd offer, you'd offer, you'd ask for me for this. The woman's like, what you got? What bucket you got, Jesus? <laughs> what have you got that I don't have? Like, look, you, what are you talking about? You have nothing to draw up this water, right? And he starts talking about this idea of living water. And of course, living water was understood as kind of fed water, if you will, like a, a spring or something like that. And so she's just kind of thinking this whole different terms. And yet he goes on. He says, no, no, no. This water, you drink it, you're going to be thirsty again. It's the water that I can give. It will well, I get that word, well up inside you and offer eternal life. In other words, it cannot be drawn out. You cannot go get a bucket and keep you know, diving into it and bringing it up and empty it out. It does not need time to reset. It does not need water to percolate down and get into the well. It is fed and it is life-giving and it never ends. That's the kind of water that I can offer you. And so, of course, she goes, well, I want some of that, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, I love this idea. Like you, you get Jesus with the Pharisees and all the other people and people go, well, let's test them. But you get this Samaritan woman, and she's here's about the water. She's like, I'm all in, right? She's like, Jesus, give me some of this water. I will take some of this water. And then Jesus says these words that really kind of are haunting, but she says, he says to her, that is, go and get your husband and come back. And she kind of slyly says, sir, I have no husband. And then Jesus calls out kind of what's going on in her life. He says, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands. The man you're with now is not your husband. It is, what you have said is quite true. Now, of course, there's many scenarios of how that could be. It could be that she's, you know, back in the day, you, a lot of times people could be divorced for some different reasons, especially the man to the woman. And it could be that she just had a string of really, really rotten husbands. And now she's just in a bind, in a pickle, and she's just got to be destitute. She's living with whoever she can just to make a living. And so in many ways, she'd just be kind of, we would see her as a victim in this or it could be she's made some really, really bad life choices over and over again. And some of it's on her own head, and that's why she's an outcast in the first place anyways. Truth is, maybe somewhere in between, but it, the other truth is, is Jesus doesn't seem to really care. He knows this and offers life to her. The first time in the Gospel of John is the first time he actually kind of offers this life to anybody but the disciples. And it's to a Samaritan woman. Now, if you keep going on with the story, they actually end up in a theological debate where she's like, well, I can see you're a prophet. You know, uh, we're told we're, you know, have to go up to Jerusalem to sacrifice, but we sacrifice on this mountain. And the Jews say we have to go up there. And Jesus gets all theological and goes, hey, don't worry. There's a time coming and neither one of those matter. And I love this line where he says, a time is coming where the worshipers will, are the type of worshipers that God seeks See, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and the truth. The time is coming is now calm when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And then she goes, you can kind of see the inkling. 
We've heard there's a Messiah coming. <laughs> Jesus goes, I who talk to you am he. Now, the rest of the story, just to cap it off here, because the story doesn't end right here, what ends up happening is the disciples come back with the food. They see Jesus talking to this woman, and they kind of wonder what's going on, but they're, you know, he's the master. They're not going to call him out on it, but they're kind of wondering what's going on. She gets uh, to the point where she just leaves and says, okay, I'm going to go tell everybody about you. Goes into town, starts doing that very thing. Meanwhile, the disciples are going, you ask them, right? <laughs> They're wondering what in the world is going on with Jesus. Jesus, you're not supposed to do this. And they get in this conversation about having something to eat. And they say, hey, aren't you hungry? And Jesus is like, no, there's word. There's food you don't even know about. And then he gets into this conversation about the harvest. And the people are, and the disciples are just sitting there talking about food. And he talks about the harvest of people is here right among you, and you get to be part of it. They don't really quite understand this, but of course what ends up happening is the Samaritan woman goes into town, tells everybody about it. All the town comes out and goes, who's this guy? He teaches them. It says they end up begging him to stay for two days. But get this, the Holy One of God, who's not even supposed to stop in Samaria, who's not even supposed to talk to a woman or get offered a drink, if you will, or ask for a drink that would make him unclean, the Son of God comes to earth and hangs out for two days in Samaria. And at the end of that, the very last verse that's in uh, chapter 4 and verse 42, the townspeople come and they say, you know what, they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because what you said to us. We've now heard for ourselves. We know that this man really is the Savior of the world. In the Gospel of John, some of the first believers, first people that really put faith in Christ beyond the disciples, are a bunch of Samaritans. It's an amazing story. It's amazing to see Jesus at work in here, and it's amazing to think what truly Jesus asked of his disciples. And I just want to make some points here as we go through just to remind you of, first of all, Jesus went, and I'm going to say at least cross-cultural, now, that would be a mild way to put it, right? Jesus went to maybe a little stronger, the outcast groups. Maybe even stronger, Jesus went to the untouchables. Think about that. Son of God could have gone to ministry in anywhere in the world. He chose times and places to go be with those that no one else wanted to be with. In fact, he set up scenarios where he'd encounter them and that they couldn't even get by him. He actually asked the question to them to become part of their life. Remember, to touch that vessel was to become unclean, and he wasn't worried about it at all, because Jesus himself was the giver of life, the very holiness himself, able to make even what is unclean, clean. The other thing that Jesus did, he spoke their language, if you notice. When he came across the Samaritan woman, he started speaking her language. She started talking about different things, and especially this idea of the well, and hey, it's so deep, Jesus, what are you talking about? This is, a, this is water that you need. He starts using it as a sermon prop, a sermon illustration, if you will. He starts talking about, well, here's just like you know this well. This is what it means to be my follower. This is what it means to believe in me. If you believe in me, there is water just like this well that could feed your flock countless times and never be it's the type of living water that flows freely and is life-giving, and you drink it, it never goes stale. It's not a cistern, it's a well, and it wells up, and it's constantly there. He speaks her language, and he uses the teaching prop for her that she would understand herself. 
then, of course, he even gets in a theological debate when the time comes with the Samaritan woman. He didn't get theologically debate too much with Nicodemus, but he gets in it with the Samaritan woman here. And not only that, the third thing to notice is that he gently corrects her. I think it's interesting that he could have come and said, Woman, what are you doing? <laughs> he could have said, Do you know how bad you are? He could have done that this woman in so many different ways. But he gently pulled her into relationship with him, enough so that when he pointed out the hurt or possibly sin in her life, but at least hurt for sure, and attached with that gentle instruction, instead of being put off, she just said, I see that you are a prophet. He spoke into her life the hardness that was in her life, the, the parts that God was trying to correct in her life and, and to put right in her life was able to point even that out. And in so doing, she found eternal life. And she went and told other villagers about herself, about him, this Jesus, that is. The fourth thing I would also just point out is that this is the first time in the Gospel of John where Jesus gives himself and offers himself to another person. Just think about how powerful it is. This is the first time in the Gospel of John when somebody mentions the Messiah. It says even before that, when he's up and doing these other miracles in the, in the towns and places and people are starting to follow him, it says, he says he didn't trust them. He didn't trust them. He kept on going. He never revealed who he was. But to this woman, he says, she asks about the Messiah. I who speak to you. And he. And of course, as we mentioned before, not only that, not only did he offer himself, but those Offerings of himself went to all the other Samaritans that came and believed in those two days. A revival broke out in Samaria of all places because Jesus showed up. The people responded. You know, I got asked this question is uh, just like the disciples are dumbfounded at this moment, they're probably going, What did we get ourselves into? <laughs> I think Jesus would offer us, uh, kind of thinking through this scripture, he would ask us today this very question Hey, do you want to be part of the harvest? Do you? You want to be part of it? He says the fields are ripe. If the seed has been sown, the, the people are ready for this great news to come to them. But again, we must be led by the Spirit. Just like the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness, just like the Spirit led Jesus to go up to Jerusalem, just like the Spirit led Jesus to go through Samaria. So we must too be led by the Spirit. I have a uh, good friend of mine, Matt Reynolds. He's a pastor up in uh, Dayton area. Um, but he actually was a United Methodist pastor for a long time, and he actually just hung it up his, his cloak for a while. And he felt God doing something in his heart. And, and he just noticed that, you know what, he was called to make disciples. And he just felt like he was having really trouble doing that in churches. And so a number of years ago, my friend Matt uh, left the ministry, quote-unquote. He ended up having to take it up again. But he left the ministry and started a, a kind of parachurch organization called Spirit and Truth Ministries. And it's based out of a Dayton. It's kind of worldwide, if you will, and all these different things. But he, he started up with some other people. And... The whole idea part of it was this idea of being reliant on the Holy Spirit and helping churches once again find themselves and, and relying on the Holy Spirit. And one of the things, they do a whole bunch of different ministries and all sorts of stuff, but one of the things they do is they go to churches, local churches like you and other local churches, and they go and uh, they do kind of like a, a awakening weekend is what they call it. And what it is is the church gets together and there's lots of prayer, of course, a little bit of teaching and all that stuff, but mostly they sit and they try to listen to what God's trying to tell them. And then at the end of the weekend, they actually got to go out and do something, right? 
And so they actually, like Jesus and his followers, literally go out into the community. And it's part of the thing. You, you can't not do it. You have to do it. And you go out and you actually like share Jesus with people, right? It's part of the idea. And of course, that sounds scary, but really all they do it is they just go up and they just go, can I pray for you? And they just literally go out in the community and they just offer to pray for people. And then the spirit moves and they get led to wherever the spirit goes. Well, he tells all sorts of stories of doing this. And um, one of them was in a South Georgia congregation years ago. And uh, they did that. They got to the end of the weekend and they were going out and they were, you know, can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? Before they got to that, though, they were listening to the Holy Spirit together. And they just, you know, they said, hey, is anybody you know, hearing a word from the Holy Spirit, you know, here today? And just somebody just kind of meekly put their hand up. And he's like, okay, yeah, you know, what do you feel like maybe the Spirit's saying here? She's like, I, I'm not sure, but like, I just feel like this, this phrase over and over and over again in my mind. And they were like, well, what's the phrase? She said, it's the gospel is for everyone. So over and over and over again, she's like, I don't know why, but I keep hearing this. She's like, all right, hang on to that thought. And as they went out, they went on to their journey, and they went out, and they went to different places. And one of the places her group went was to the local gas station, because it's South Georgia. There's only so much you can go to. So they went to the gas station, right? And when they walked into the gas station, and the, they were walking in, and you know, kind of thought, this is what we're going to do. We're going to walk in and just offer the, you know, whoever's working there, can we pray for them? Walked in and it was, uh, you know, presumably from the story, it was like an Indian woman, right? From like Southeast Asia kind of idea, like someone who looked Hindu and all these different things. And so they walked in and they said, oh, well, she's not going to be interested in this. And they felt kind of bashful, like it would be really kind of a jerky thing to go up and, you know, try to offer Jesus to someone that was, you know, of another religion. And so they started walking out and then it just and it struck her heart. She's like, I remember what the Spirit had been telling me. The gospel is for everyone. And so... As they were sitting outside about ready to get back in the cars, she, she mentioned this, and the group said, we got to do it. <laughs> Spirit's leading, we got to go. Let's just say yes, see what happens. So they walked back in and offered to pray for her. And not only was she extremely receptive to it and loved the fact that these Christians, crazy Christians, would come in and just pray for her and was just honored by it, but the fact that other people were walking in with all sorts of burdens, and they saw these crazy Christians praying in a gas station, and they said, I want some of that. And so they started praying for these other people. And they ended up being, they ended up taking too long and being late, if I remember correctly the story, getting back to the kind of regroup session. But they ended up touching so many different lives purely because they were led by the Spirit to go where they will. And they didn't ever presume that someone wouldn't want to hear the gospel because that's what the Spirit wanted to do through them. But likewise, church, we can think in our own world, and it's probably different answers for every single person, but who's the people? But the rest of the world wants to just say goodbye to. Who's the people in our communities or in our nation, in our country, in our state, in our local communities that the, the world just says, you guys just go to noon and get water. You're not welcome. The other times. Church, those are the very people Jesus goes to. The very people that you and I are called to be led by the Spirit and to offer Christ to you. Let us pray. Lord, as we're here today, we thank you so much for this story. It's amazing to think about this woman. Lord, we don't know exactly why she was in the situation. We can make some presumptions, but ultimately we know, do know that she was in a life of hurt. And God, how tenderly you dealt with her. To where, God, she was one of the first great proclaimers of the gospel, telling everyone about you. And that whole community put faith in sight. God, we're humbled today because in so many ways we live our lives in such a way that we oftentimes don't encounter those who the rest of the world would never look upon. So God, open our hearts, open our minds once again. 
to see those the world has left behind. And God, to make time to go and sit in Samaria, to ask for a drink, and to once again tenderly offer the gospel in winning ways to where people could see how good it was and to understand this eternal life that's offered freely to all. I pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen.